Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. Have you always dreamed about becoming a best-selling author? Well, I can make that dream come true for you if you're interested in writing a chapter for my next compilation book, Transforming Pain into Purpose, Triumphant Tales of Empowerment. If you're interested in learning more about writing and contributing to this compilation book, I'll put my contact info in the show notes. Please feel free to send me a DM on Facebook, or you can reach out to me through Instagram to learn more about this incredible opportunity to become an international best-selling author. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Lorna Gale. She is a sexuality and spirituality guide and mentor, a bondage trainer and practitioner, and a story unweaver. I love that term, Lorna. Such a powerful and incredible and intriguing term. Thank you so much for being here today and thank you for taking and making the time to share a bit about your story and your journey with me here today. I'm really looking forward to and excited about jumping in and exploring all of the things, Lorna. This is awesome. <laughs> I'm excited to be here, Brad. And uh, I know since we've been talking about me coming on and being interviewed for your podcast, yeah, it's just, it's been very exciting and I'm excited to share because I know it's what I share is probably reflective of a lot of people's journey and I'm looking forward to, to connecting. So. Yes, let's <laughs> jump right in. So as mentioned, you are all of those things, but you're also the founder of the Sexological Bodywork Canada. You are a somatic mindset coach. You're also a poet and a writer as well, a speaker, a healer. That is one hell of a lot of stuff to unpack here in the conversation and discuss. And <laughs> it's a lot of hats you're wearing and quite the extensive resume. So I want to start off. How do you find the time for all of this? And how important does prioritization and organization play a role? How important a role does prioritization and organization play in your daily life? And how do you stay on top of things? Mm. Great questions. Thank you, Brad. You know, it's actually kind of an interesting thing. I, I would say that where I've been at right now is practicing what I teach. And that is the journey of, of going within. And this whole aspect of somatic is about the body. And, you know, you look at all of those hats and the different titles and things that are, are on my resume. And really what it comes down to is in some ways really quite simple is that of um, feeling, being aware of the body, the body as the instrument and looking at the story of the mind of, you know, the things that are happening, the thoughts that are going on and the sense of prioritization really comes to me living that. And so how do I prioritize things by connecting into my body and into that wisdom that's there. And from there, then it, what comes is, okay, what's the thing that needs to be addressed right now? Is it my own self well-being is it connecting with clients i'm very intuitive so tuning into that aspect of things and i would say on one level i'm very very organized and yet another way not so it can seem <laughs> chaotic and i was sharing with a friend not too long ago when i was doing my teaching degree 20 plus years ago i remember we were doing our an activity we were in a, a room with a sort of a theater room so there were the high bleachers and all and we were about mm -hmm. three of us in the class and 
the teacher kept on about five or six at a time. And the rest of us, we were to pick one person and follow around and just, okay, go. And you follow that person wherever they go in this defined space. And it just seems so chaotic. The five or six at a time were sent at the top of the bleachers. And what seemed like chaos in the midst, you could see the pattern and the flow. So what I sometimes feels like chaos in my world as I know it's a part of a flow and I just stay tuned into that and so for me that practice of my peach is just practice what I teach is just to continue to come back into center and be there. Now I'm very curious and with all of these hats you wear what does your morning routine look like? When I wake up that's what I do is I just check in with my body with my feeling whether it's physical sensations whether it's emotions that are happening thoughts I just sort of tune into there and just do a check and then most often some days it's it's not it's just sort of bounding out of bed but it's just that connecting in and doing some breathing and just feeling and coming back into center and then from there it's kind of I, I drop hop up I'm right now I'm living with my one of my daughter's family so I get to drive the kids to school so I get <laughs> and put on uh, boots and coats and a toque and head out and drive them to school and then from there it's just sort of yeah the routine from there is just sort of that self-care is important yeah. and from there it seems important to just connect into and I think that that's where I'm starting to really redefine my routine is one of the questions I remember you asking another one of your guests is when do you work best yeah <laughs> I tend to work best almost in the the 11 o'clock till 3 a.m time frame that's not always conducive <laughs> to uh family life so no. uh, but I make do and, and so it's um my morning routine sometimes it's just a matter of what do I need to do in the day-to-day daytime hours where people are available that I connect with. And then some of my other stuff happens at nighttime. I love it. I'm, I'm a night owl myself. So (laughs) that's, that's usually when I get my best work done too, is in the wee hours, like late at night and into the early morning hours. And you're right. It's not very conducive for (laughs) family life and for running a business really, because when you get to sleep that late, you have to be available during the day hours to speak with people. So it Mm -hmm. makes it a little more difficult, but we make it work, right? We do. We do. Yes. (laughs) What drives motivates and inspires you to keep going and pushing and excelling at all that you do, Lorna? Mm, Multiple facets to that question. As you and I have spoken about as well, there's this thing about this calling that's just, I've got to do this. And, you know, 40 years ago, as I sat as a young mom, as a young wife, a young mom of 20 years old, sitting there in a Christian women's club where we met, you know, for a luncheon and, and then had a guest speaker come in. And I sat there and was so inspired. I have no idea what she was talking about. I don't remember. But what I remember was this, that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, so 40 years later, it's that call is there even more. And the work that I've been doing, you know, in this, in the work of my somatic sex education has been for 13 years. And so working one-on-one has been critical and central. And I've been working more and more with groups over the years. And right now it just seems like speaking is just, it's time. <laughs> it's yeah. time to speak and let my voice be heard. Let my message be heard. And it's not just so that it's my message being heard. That's part of my expression. But it's how to I speak to be able to support people in stepping into their greatest vision and experience of themselves. It's funny that you 
mentioned finding your voice and whatnot. This morning I had a podcast interview and the woman is a voice empowerment guide. So mm-hmm. very interesting, that little mm-hmm. tie in there with mm-hmm. you being a woman and finding your voice and finding your calling and all of that. It's mm-hmm. pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's actually kind of fun in the sense that some of the things that I do when I'm working with um, people in the sexual realm of things is recognizing that oftentimes sex happens, whether it's solo sex or partner sex, often happens quickly, quietly, and in the dark. So this whole idea of freeing the voice, you know, whether it's our message for our saying what we want, what we don't want, to be able to acknowledge and let our sexual sounds come out as well is voice is so, so powerful, so central. Absolutely. Now, speaking of which, you've decided to focus your energy and your business on somatic sex education, spiritual mentorship, among a host of other things. And this is as a result of your own spiritual journey and midlife sexual awakening, correct? Mm-hmm. That's right. Can you share a little bit about your own personal experiences and awakening and why this inspired you to take this path that you're currently on to doing the work that you do? Mm, I'd love to. Uh I grew up in a Christian home, a beautiful, loving family and, and community, very conservative. And I was, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the whole thing of being married and, and, you know, be a wife and a mother, that was sort of my focus. That's what I grew up having that as a model. And that was sort of my place. And so I was married for 30 years to this beautiful man. And uh, we have two beautiful children together, two daughters. But what I realized was that, and it I was not connected to my sexuality. Looking back, you know, what I realized, you know, 20 years later, I realized that the fact that I had been raised to sex belongs to marriage, you know, save yourself for marriage. And that's so prominent, right? It's so prevalent in in our world right now. Save yourself for marriage. So I had this idea that my body, my sexuality was not mine. It belonged to my husband. It belonged to the marriage. So I had no concept of exploring my own sexuality. You know, I was a good girl and I saved myself for marriage, but I did not explore my own body, my own sexuality. So we get into marriage and it's kind of like, okay, it's all of a sudden, it should be all everything in place. And it wasn't. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And so, you know, having this, being able to get aroused and, and all that, and my husband, you know, doing what what men are so beautifully eager to do is to please their their woman, their wife, their girlfriend, partner. But I didn't know. I didn't know my own sexuality. So five years into the marriage, my husband finally said to me, why don't you find out what makes you feel good so you can tell me? Really a wise thing to say. And I, I laugh because I say I'm a really good learner, but it only took me 20 years to start that journey of exploring. (laughs) (laughs) so i i sort of put things on the back burner but night after night just i think like it's very common it's just i fell asleep crying because my body had been awoken aroused but didn't know what to do with it and he didn't know he researched and just assumed that you know from the research that i like a lot of women are non-orgasmic which is not true we're actually multi-orgasmic but anyway so when the girls were raised i then felt it was important to me for me to start to explore my own sexuality and it wasn't about going about being with other partners, but it was about me connecting to my own body. So I took various courses and trainings. And in one of them, our journey was to, for at least seven days, and this was actually the precursor, the connection to sexological body work. Our first assignment was to, for seven days, up to 30 days, for half an hour every day to do our, what I now call PEP, personal erotic practice. And so add a little pep to your day. And so for me, it was, I chose the mirror meditation, which was to look at myself in the mirror. So here I was propped up naked against the bed on the floor. And all I could do was just 
like, this is gross. This is disgusting. This is, you know, just looking at myself and all the self-loathing that started to come up, the shame, the guilt, the disconnection, but the self-loathing, the shame, and even got to the point of existential shame. And the tears were just streaming down. And when I got to that level of it, things started to really shift. And it was just kind of like, wow, this is so amazing. This is so good. This is so pure. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's not dirty. And in that moment, I literally had a 180, an instantaneous 180 degree change in my world where I had gone from not being able to talk, like, you know, seeing a young couple in the, you know, the Dairy Queen kissing. It was just like, oh, gross, gross. To right. that, everything I saw was sexually whole and pure and this journey. So that was where I had, you know, been a teacher in the school system for years. I had then gone on to teaching in energy work. And now it just became a natural thing to take my love of teaching to the erotic sexual realm of things. So that's where I, I took sexological body work as a student for three different times. And on my last time we stood around, I was down in the Australia training and stood around the circle in our closing circle. And what's our intention as we leave this training? And for me, it was, I want to bring this to Canada. So it started out of um, the U.S. and it spread. And, and so for me, it was important to bring it to Canada. And so for three years, I co-taught the training, the professional training that teaches other people to be sexological body workers and really supporting people in reconnecting to their bodies, to their sexuality, to their emotions, that ability to feel. And for me, it was just, it was life-changing for me. And it's just been a joy to, to support people in connecting and finding out what's true for them beyond the, the sense of this is what you should do, shouldn't do, who you should be and all that. So it's been amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so that's sort of, I just, yeah. I'll can, you there. <laughs> can you explain a bit more about the sexological body worker thing and what that exactly is, what it's all about? Mm -hmm. I mean, you're the founder of Sexological, Sexological Body Work Canada. So can you explain a bit more about what that is and what the organization all about? Yeah, it was founded by, by Joseph Kramer out of the States, and it came out of this back in the 80s. And just really, how do we connect with people in a way that is consensual, that is honoring of the person and allows sexuality to be seen as natural, healthy, normal, and where it's not experienced as such is how do we help to move through those wounds, those crevices, if you will, of connection to our wholeness and ourself. And so sexological body work, it goes beyond, it's not talk therapy, and it's not even, we don't even call it therapy. It's body work, and it's often, it's one-way touch. It is there for the clients, the students, for their wholeness, for their healing, for their pleasure, and mm -hmm. to be able to let people do that. So it's, yeah, it's, it's really profound work in there. There's some people that will come, you know, because they want to connect to their sexuality. Somebody wants to come because they want to find out what else is possible for them. They want to move beyond the old stories that they've been taught and told about who they are. Different, you know, men will arrive there saying, and I don't even say men will come any, come for sessions. I say, you know, men will arrive for sessions. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but often it's, you know, sexual, maybe it's a, uh, premature ejaculation or erectile dysfunction. So that's often where they will arrive to me and to sexological body workers for sexual trauma. I'm working with a woman overseas. I've never met her. I've been working with her for over a year and a half and okay. um, for childhood sexual abuse. And so just the healing that's coming from that and the ability to switch back on the ability to feel because when feeling gets shut down, 
it's the whole range of feeling. Like I don't want to feel that pain, but also that takes away our ability to feel the joy as well. So it's really right. starting to let the body know it's safe to feel and opening up and, and letting the nervous system relax into and open to feel. So this sexological body work is all over the world and it's in the US. You said you were down in Australia for training. Mm-hmm. You, you brought it here to Canada. So it's yeah. it's basically, I mean, it's in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I've never even heard of it before. Yeah, That's wild. It's really, really profound. So have you seen a change then? Because speaking about sex and talking about sex and all of these things, Sex, I think it's still seen, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a very taboo topic. People don't want to talk about it. People are too scared to talk about it because of societal conditioning, religious condition, parental, all of these things. Have you seen a change then since you've entered into this world as being part of your work from when you first started to now? Have you seen a shift at all in the way that we are as a human race, as society looking at sex and it's becoming more, um, for lack of a better term, okay to talk about and people are starting to become more open about it? Yeah, I I do think so. And I think that's probably various reasons why that's happening. And I agree that it's very much been a taboo thing. And that, that ties into the whole thing of sexuality and spirituality is, for me, I think it's in the story. Those three things, it's so huge because... The story of sex being wrong, the story of sex being shameful and taboo, it's actually hilarious because we come from sex. And so, yeah. you know, and so we do all that we can to prolong life. Well, if, if sex is what brings us into this life experience, then at what point, you know, why would it be wrong? <laughs> so it's this, this whole idea of, for me, it's the story of, in our human experience, we turn away from this story and the truth of who we are and, you know, as spiritual beings that let's look away and make sex bad. Because if people knew that sex was that portal to spirit, then where's the need for the church? Where's the, where does the yeah. whole thing of separation and and wrong go. and right and bad <laughs> and good, all of that play in. So for me, it's just, it's a beautiful seeing it from the perspective of the role it has played in our human experience as spirits. That's pretty wild when you think about it that way. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, this is how we all got here is yeah. because of sex. Yet we silence ourselves or we silence people when it comes to talking about it. And I mean, how do we continue to move the needle forward and to keep progressing with the openness? How do we, how do we go about that? How do we continue on this path? Mm-hmm. Great question. And I'm going to go back because I realized I didn't really fully answer your fir- your previous question in terms of some of the things that are, and, and I'll tie these two together, that what are some of the things that are making it more talked about or more okay to talk about i think people are just waking up to there's nothing wrong with it i think the internet right the whole thing about we're no longer so isolated and and just in our own community all of a sudden we're seeing a bigger world and wait a minute they're doing this and this is okay and wow this culture it's okay i have a friend that moved from germany and she said when she moved to north america she said two things were absent death and sex which so yeah so that speaks to the fact that 
there are different cultures in Norway, they have a great sex education system, you know, in the school system, you know, so we, this idea that, oh, this is the one right way, it's just, it's helping us take our blinders off, things like Fifty Shades of Grey, Gwyneth Paltrow's Sex, Love and Goop, you know, where she talks about that, we've talked, the sexological body workers is talked about in there, we've got the whole DS, domination and submission, King mm-hmm. BDSM is talked about in there, so those are some things that are going global, I'm just trying to blank on, there is a beautiful there was a movie of a beautiful one of our actresses that it's just talks about you know what it was like for her to hire a male escort you know for her pleasure so there's lots of different things that are coming out in the media that are saying that are really helping us to question what we've been taught and told about it being wrong Okay, so I want to talk a little bit then about, so you went through your own midlife sexual awakening. Mm-hmm. You mentioned you have two daughters. So how have you bestowed those lessons onto them and, and taught them about it so that they don't go through a similar thing? Mm-hmm. Or have you? Great question. <laughs> I'm going to say when they were their very, very early teens, and I was just in the midst, I, I had not even, all I knew was, I don't want them exactly to go through what I've just gone through. So I said, girls, I'd like to talk with you. I pulled them aside and I said, I just want you to let you know that it's okay to masturbate. (laughs) And for me, that was a crucial thing because I did not want them to go through that, even though it was still going to be another, you know, 10, 15 years until I have my own awakening, that it was important for me to give voice to that for them, to set them free, whatever, however they ever choose to to explore since my sexual awakening and I call it a midlife midlife sexual awakening because I did not have my first orgasm until I was 42 years old and then it was five years and I had hired a masturbation coach to support me in my journey there's such a thing as a masturbation that's, coach yeah and that's what holy I'm, shit that's one of the things that I get to do is I get to support people in their connecting to their sexuality in that way and giving them some okay to breathe okay let's do this and okay here's your practice for this week yeah so I had powerful. no I idea so, yeah yeah in person online wow yeah. yeah yeah okay sorry go on no it's okay <laughs> Mm-hmm. So I've been very free about talking about things. And I remember even one time when one of my daughters, my oldest daughter was visiting and she said, and I've got three daughters, one by my, my husband by okay. marriage and my two birth daughters. So okay. my, my oldest birth daughter, she was visiting and she had cut into a head of red cabbage, the purple cabbage, and she cut into it and she said, you know how the white and the purple is just so yeah. beautiful. And yeah. she said, oh, look at this mom. And I said, oh, it looks like labia. <laughs> She says, Mom, everything looks like genitals to you now. <laughs> so, and they've said, It's like, who are you and what did you do with our mother? That's how much it's been for them. So, but now they refer clients to me. Yeah, they refer clients and look at, talk with me about how we can do things. My bondage work, they know, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I don't hold back and it allows for an environment for them as adults and for their children to be growing up in that they never had as children, that I never had as children, you know? So, yeah. So how is that, how has that enhanced your relationship with your daughters, all of this? Mm -hmm. I think in some ways it's really created this ability for us to, number one, be real and raw with each other, to be honest and support each other in the journeys that we're going through. You know, it's, it's not even just about sexuality. It's about who we are as humans, who we are as people, coming back to the voice, you know, all of those things to our own living our own truth and a big part of that you know sometimes that means that living our own truth goes against what we've been taught or told or what somebody else might think and it's just dare we live our own 
truth, whether that's sexually, whether that's a life path of career. It seems like it's all so intricately connected. Yeah. It means, you know, our spiritual beliefs, you know, where do they fit in with any religious beliefs that people have grown up with? And that. so for me, it's really created a, an openness and a strength of relationship that is so, so powerful. Powerful. That's beautiful. So I'm curious then as well, what are your thoughts on sex education in, in the education system, right? Like, how do you feel about that? Because you've helped obviously educate your daughters, albeit at an, at an later stage, but mm-hmm. what are your thoughts on, on sex education and it's just some teacher teaching our children about sex ed? Mm-hmm. What do I think about it that for the other than, you know, like the, I gave you the example of Norway and I, you know, I've looked, yeah. watched their videos, but in our North American and big part of culture, it's sad. <laughs> it, is, <laughs> it is It is what it is, and it's sad, it's doing a disservice, and it speaks to the discomfort of people with their own sexuality. Because if they can't talk about it, if they can't face it themselves, how can they easily and comfortably share it and help other children learn. So it really, it's very revealing about people's mm-hmm. disconnection and embarrassment and shame and confusion. So it's not about blaming. It's almost like, how can they know? What's one of the things I hear as a somatic sex educator is over and over is, this is a sex education I wish I had had when I was a kid. Over and over. And so it speaks to that. Yeah. I remember even as a teacher when I was doing substitute teaching you know, about 15 years ago or so, when I said to the teacher, what do you do for sex education? And he says, well, we've got two hours set aside for it this week. <laughs> so do you think that this is something that should be taught in the schools or should this be kept at home and it's up to the parents to educate our children on this topic? I think it's both. I think that there's that and to be able to, and this is one of the things that I would love to do is I have a a program that's for adults and that I would like to develop as well for children, but to see the naturalness of sexuality when we can look at it that way, we can move through our old, old traumas about it, our own blockages and to be able to really create environment for children to grow up in homes and schools and we think about the teen years right the puberty you know it's just this wild thing well (laughs) you know how it is when when anything like here's a you know a a thing of ice cream don't eat the ice cream all you want is the ice cream (laughs) yeah of course and so when we can start to say hey it's a natural thing wow your body's going through these things and what you're feeling and thinking that's natural you know, yeah. and so be able to create this environment where it's not about shame and wrongness, but a natural, healthy thing. We talk about mental health has certainly come up more with the pandemic. You know, yeah. so that's been highlighted. We've got, you know, physical health, you know, get, get out, yeah. get exercise, eat well, all of those things. And yet sexual health is not, it's not addressed. And yet it's so crucial, again, because we come from sex. It's what keeps yeah. the, the human you know perpetuates the human species it's something that it's a, it's a drive it's a it's an appetite it's a, a curiosity something to explore and you know different stages in life and so to ignore it is really <laughs> asinine <laughs> yeah exactly there's a good word and for so it. at what age then do you think is an okay age to start teaching our children about this stuff mm-hmm. whether it be in schools or at home mm-hmm. as soon as they're born 
Okay. <laughs> and I think it's just really age appropriate, you know, just whatever's right. there, you know, little children. And it's no accident that our hands are the, you know, our arms and our hands are the length that allow us to touch our genitals easily. Right. Right. So no accident there. And so little children, you know, just start to touch themselves and explore. Yeah. And so let them, let them explore and touch and, oh, that feels good, doesn't it? And, you know, and, and a healthy coming back to voice, letting them know their voices. There's times to when it's appropriate and times for yeah. people not to. And, you know, so allowing those them to have that sense of autonomy and consent, you know, boundaries. What is their space and, and as things are appropriate? And it's just, for me, that's very much just letting it be natural throughout the time. One of the things that I say is important is make sure that your child, children, have access to either a full-length mirror or a hand mirror, a makeup mirror, so that they can look at their parts. When I used to, I used to do some retreats where I would have maybe two, three, or four women at a time, and I would take them in and I would do a genital mapping and just sort of helping them to find out about their genitals. So, you know, here we were with, you know, I would take them on a tour. I would demonstrate and they had their coconut oil and their, and their hand, their uh, makeup mirrors. And one woman who was 73 years old, she said, this is the first time I've ever seen my parts. Wow. Yeah. That is profound. Holy shit. Yeah. And I think what's really different is because we have people with male bodies with a penis, you know, they see and touch their genitals, their penis every day, you know, for pleasure, for peeing. For women, you know, it's tucked in between there. You know, this beautiful temple is, the sacred temple is tucked away, you know, covered with hair for an adult, but between the legs. And so it's not seen unless intentionally done. So that's why I say, get your child, make sure that they've got privacy, whether it's in the bathroom or their bedroom, make sure they've got access to a full mirror so they can see their bodies as they're growing up so that they can look at their genitals. Like what does, you know, when they squat down and put the mirror between their legs, what does it look like for their anus? What does it look like for their genitals and how are the yeah. parts there so i think that's but really then important. again you've got so many other factors that get put in here is the whole religion thing and depending upon the family's upbringing and all of these things i mean you're not going to get a religious set of parents that are going to have their kids do this kind of thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so there's so many other things that factor in here exactly yeah and how do we i mean you can't break through that there's i don't think anyway hmm I think it's, you know, it comes back to when people are ready, when they're ready for a new experience, you know, I'll show up in their world or they'll show up in my world, you know, or, you know, for the person that's there to support them in having a different experience. And Mm. and sometimes, as you know, you know, it takes either a crisis or just, I can't do this anymore. Something has to change. And that's kind of like, okay, let's do that. Let's, that's where it's starting to connect into the feelings and yeah, look at the thoughts that are coming on. It's actually one of the things that I thought often, Brad, is and a growing awareness of how deeply this goes is, you know, women are emotional, right? And so yeah. we're you're emotional, but don't feel sexual. Men, yeah, you've got a block. You can only feel certain emotions. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and on the other hand, men are taught to, you know, you're sexual, so they're but don't feel emotional. You know, tough up. <laughs> won't be a sissy. <laughs> Right. It's so bizarre. It is. And so on either and we talk about, you know, one level or another or multiples, 
we're all taught don't feel. It's not safe to feel. It's not yeah. right to feel. It's not good to feel these things. Shut them down. Ignore them. All of those things. So, yeah, male or female. There's yeah, some blockage in there that we're taught that you mm-hmm. can't feel this way and you can't feel this way mm-hmm. because you're a boy, because you're a girl. You, yeah. It's yeah. fucked up. <laughs> it is. It is. No wonder the world is so fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> Because we're taught to block out certain feelings. Like we're human beings. We are feeling emotional beings. Exactly. Yeah. You can't feel certain. Well, I mean, you can, but Mm -hmm. we're not supposed to. That's right. We're supposed to be able to feel all of the emotions, whether it's sexual, sad, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The gift of We're not meant to block. That's right. (laughs) Mind boggling. I never, I never thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. That is very intriguing and very interesting. (laughs) Can you share with us what you do as a sexuality and spirituality embodiment mentor and teacher? I do it in multiple ways or from different angles, and it's based on what that person seems to need. Sometimes I, and it it will always come down, as I mentioned earlier, it will always come back to uh, supporting them in connecting to the body as a feeling instrument and letting them feel as much as we can. And again, looking at the thoughts that are at play. I talk about being a somatic mindset coach. And I do that very intentionally. Number one is to connect into the body so that they're feeling. And then look at the thoughts, to be able to look at the thoughts that we have and look at the characters that they are. We think that these thoughts are ours and that they are, you know, that there are thoughts. And just kind of, you think about it, Okay, where did that thought come from? Did I think, okay, I'm going to think this thought? No. (laughs) No. It was just there. And start to look at, actually, that character, if I really look at whose voice that is, it actually is a mean character or it's a, feels like a really, like a little sad waif of a child. It's just kind of, start to look at things. So for me, it's, that's part of the story unweaving is that we come into this world. And so when I'm working, I think feel like I'm jumping around a little bit here, but trying no, to okay. piece this together. We come well, I into- think it is all intricately tied <laughs> in together. All of your, all yeah. of the work you do is all intertwined. Yeah. So when we come into this world as little babies, we're just taking in the whole world, you know, through our senses. And then little by little, we start to, you know, the adults and the other people in the world start to say, you know, here, hey, baby, and here's mama, and here's daddy, and um, here's a cup, and here's a cat, and here's all these things. And so what was just it is now starts to have labels to it. And we start to label it, and we start to think that this is what it is. And that includes the feelings, that I'm feeling such. Oh, are you feeling sad? Are you feeling this? It's just going to, actually, I'm just feeling this. So part of my work is to be able to take people from what they're feeling. Okay, I'm feeling angry. Okay, great. So now, can you see that word and then let it take you into the sensation and then just feel that? So it starts to become this, what I call, unlaminating what we think of the feeling and the word as being one and the same. Oh, I'm feeling angry. No, I'm just, I'm feeling this and I've called it anger. 25 years ago, some of my mentors talked about thought plus feeling equals emotion. And interesting. They're not the same. A thought, there's a thought, there's a feeling. If we can start to, and this is one of the things I love about my work, is to be able to take those things and start to let the word, as I say, let it dissipate like a cloud and sink into the feeling, into the feeling. Because those are often the things that we've not been able to feel, haven't been given permission to feel, 
and and so to let that happen and just feel into it as fully as we can. But that's what we do though as humans is we have to label everything because everything, mm-hmm. it makes us feel comfortable. But I mean, how do you, other than the labels we know, like you just said, I feel angry. How else can you describe that? Exactly. <laughs> you have to put, you exactly. have to put some kind of label on it. You have to be able to call it something, I guess. Because just if someone asks you how you're feeling, you can't just say, I'm just, I'm feeling this way. Well, what the fuck mm-hmm. is this way? That's right. That's right. So language becomes a point of communication and reference. And when we get held in that spot as if that's what they are, then we're disconnected from our body because we're not letting ourselves truly feel what's actually there because we're still hanging on to the word. So how do we get around that? (laughs) Great question. It's a practice. I would say that that's a big part of it. And the analogy that I use that may be appreciated (laughs) is that for men, in particular, mm-hmm. men think that ejaculation and orgasm are one and the same. Right. They're not. And so a man can ejaculate without having an orgasm. A man can orgasm without having an ejaculation. And for a lot of men, because they happen at the same time, they think they're one and the same. Huh. When we can start to, well, do you want to have an orgasm without the ejaculation? Do you want to ejaculate without orgasm? So I use that analogy because that's one that people can connect to. Well, yeah, we're not so often thought because this labeling of things happens at such an early age, you know, this connecting into creating this sense of identity of being human beings, that it's it's hard to disconnect them. But when we can start to really start to look into them, then we can start to see, oh yeah, there's the sensation. Okay, can I let go of the word? Oh, that's what I'm feeling. Actually, can you just let yourself feel into it a little bit more? And it's often because of the labeling, the story, which is, again, coming back to this whole thing of story. Like, what a great story we're living. We're, we yeah. are the living story. We are the living, we're this character having this amazing experience. And so to be able to be immersed in that, there's this sense of, well, I need to be able to talk about and label and have this. And the core of us, this essence of us is just in this beautiful experience of being human. <laughs> <laughs> Well, being let's, let's human beings. Yeah. No, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just saying, yeah, of just being the humans. That's, that's where we're in the midst of. And, and so with my work, Brad, it really becomes a thing of helping people, you know, if I'm doing hands-on work with them, then yeah. it's, you know, letting them feel. And that's where even, as I mentioned, you know, with bondage, right. My work as a bondage practitioner and trainer is really to be able to support people in feeling. Most of my clients are males and I talk very much a dichotomy of male and female. And that is quite intentional, very intentional in fact, because that's a big part of who we've come to be is the sense of duality is man, people are separate from God and there's males and females and this whole duality piece. And so my work is really about coming back. And I see, if you look at the shape of the cross, the vertical one is the spirit in the human experience. The left and right would be multiples, but for this purpose, talking about female and male and how they're separate from each other. And for me, it's actually what I call implosion is about instead of exploding in our experience of I'm looking for authority outside. I'm looking for permission outside. I'm looking for my partner outside. I'm looking for somebody to please me outside. All of those things, it's bringing all of those things that we thought we were separate and bringing them back in. And I see that center point where these intersect is there's our sex. And it's not just about having sex. I'm not talking about that, but our sexual erotic life force energy, the sex portal and bringing everything back in. And so able to let people through this work, 
come back into an experience of their wholeness by feeling, letting themselves let go of the labels and just feel, feel, feel what's there. And so as I was saying with bondage, most of my clients are males. Right. And this gives them an opportunity to really let go and just really start to feel. When their senses are taken away, they can't talk. No, you can't talk. You can't say anything. You just get to feel all these yeah. sensations that are pleasurable and some that are called painful. It's just kind of like, oh, my goodness. And it really starts to take them out of their mind and into their body. Well, everything starts with self. We are the foundation for absolutely everything. And you mentioned about seeking validation outside, seeking our partner, seeking pleasure, seeking all these things outside of ourselves. We have to, we do, we have to bring it all back to starting within. Mm-hmm. Everything starts there. Yeah. So that's where I see when I talk about being a sexuality and spirituality guide, mentor, teacher, it's about bringing the sexuality back home. How many people you know, don't necessarily self-pleasure other than to get a quick release, but to tap into that wisdom, that pleasure, that um, that wholeness within sexually, as well as to bring ourselves back to the spiritual wholeness that we are within. So that's Well, then does that not tie in Tantra, Tantric sex and all of those things, that whole avenue as well? Because isn't that more spirituality based? I think it is. And, you know, when I did my sacred intimate training through a tantric lens, we talked about not necessarily the whole thing other than some of the principles of tantra, which are, and the ones that I have remained with me that I implement is the healing power of pleasure and as above, so below and as within, so without. So those are the ones Mm. that really reflect how I practice and my experience of life and my work. Now, you mentioned the bondage. Let's talk a little bit about that. So mm-hmm. you are a bondage trainer and practitioner. Can you speak a little bit about the work you do as a bondage trainer? What inspired you or led you down the path? How did you get involved in that world? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if sex is taboo, BDSM and kink is even more taboo. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, nothing, nothing's off limits here. Exactly. So let's exactly. talk about it. That's right. Yeah, that's we can right. educate some people. That's right. When I was doing my, one of my early sexological bodywork trainings as a student, we did a workshop and one of the students brought a workshop in, which was just, you know, some spanking of just, you know, connecting hands on knees or hands on knees and just spanking the bottom. And then, uh, you know, different positions and it was also connecting and I remember then it was kind of like wow this is fun and it was just sort of opened up because for me you know spankings had been a a form of punishment they were you know not connecting at all and so all of a sudden to have something done in a big way differently was really powerful and that was I think my big aha of how when people are going through things it's not about the act itself but whether it's consensual or not so for me, then it become, uh, it was almost interesting because when I did that training, I said to one of the participants, I said, can you take me to the leather store? I want to get a corset. And she's kind of like, where did that come from? You know, being this good girl born in a religious thing, <laughs> EDSM and all of that was in some ways not on my radar at all. And right. at the same time, anything that I wear of it was just so sinful, so evil. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm, you know what? I'm very curious as to how all of that came into bondage, like the, the leather and the masks and all. Like how did that even factor in and, and become part of it? That's a good question. And I, you know, I've, I've not even, to, my, to be honest, I've not even explored the history of how all of that, how that mm. has come. Okay. 
I think okay. in some ways it goes down to a natural, my, in, my intuitive part goes that there's a natural sense of the wildness, that naturalness of things, and getting in, in touch with one's roots or wildness, one's innate nature, natural aspect of things. So I think that's where it is. So for me, it was just an interesting thing. So I got that. And from there, soon after that, one of my colleagues told me about bondage. And I said, I'm going to do that. And for me, it just really seemed like it was another another form of healing. And when I talk about healing, it's not about even as a healer, because I see healing as a recognition that we are whole. Right. Not about becoming whole, but it's that recognition. So as a healer, I'm helping people to recognize and experience their wholeness. And I see that bondage, I recognize bondage and erotic massage together as a really powerful way to support people in experiencing their wholeness in feeling and being able to move beyond the confines of the mind and to just to feel. Being a bondage trainer. So that's bondage and erotic massage combined. So what do you do as a trainer? You're training other people to become bondage experts? That's right. So my first one was to be a bondage practitioner. So I would, okay. uh, took that training and then I, you know, had clients would come in that were looking for domination and submission for some BDSM, uh, uh, maybe had been exploring or interested about kink, but didn't know how to do it. So this is really a safe, gentle way of doing it and yet very sensual. And I, for me, I practice it as as I do according to the sexological body work. And even though I'm not involved with sexological body work Canada currently at all, other than, you know, that was sort of part of my roots. I still practice this. I still practice my work is one way touch and, you know, I'm clothed and, and it's just, for me, it's about this, for people to feel into, into their own experience, to connect to their own body, to their own sensations. And so that's what I, as a, practitioner and then as a trainer that's what I get to train other people in so the, some people come to me who have been their body workers they have been doing massage or they've been doing even somatic sex education sexological body work just to have another way to be able to support people in using their voice and feeling and connecting to their bodies and for many so many people it becomes a spiritual journey as well so so as a practitioner then, do you have clients come to you? I do. And I'm actually okay. just with COVID of uh, being out. And then during that time I had cancer and chemo and, oh my and, gosh. and making a big move. And so I'm just in this process now of getting back into in doing in person. So last month, well, we're still in December. Earlier this month, I had opportunity to do a, a training for this incredible woman who came from Toronto. And I did her training for bondage. And in two weeks, I'm going to be doing another training for for a woman who's here in, on the west coast of Canada and doing her thing. So people can fly in and, yeah, I'll train them. I do multiple trainings like of different people, like a group of training. I've done, right. I've done that where, and because that's a big part of it is get to then learn together. And again, that's where coming back to your thing about, you know, should sex education be just in homes or in schools? Yeah. And in homes, it can be talked about more privately of different things, more personally perhaps. And yet the thing in school is, to learn communally. We learn basketball, swimming in teams, you know, and that type of thing. So why, and I'm not necessarily advocating no. sex, that's not what I'm saying, but to learn about sex in a thing, it's kind of like 
oh, they have a question. I had that question too. And we start to see that we're not so different and what we're thinking and feeling is not wrong or bad or shameful. It's just kind of like, wow, we're all in this together. So. But then again, there are so many parents who don't believe that it should be taught in schools and don't agree with it and don't agree with this person teaching it or that mm-hmm. person teaching it. And so then you have kids being pulled out of those mm-hmm. classes and not mm-hmm. participating in those classes too, yeah. right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's a, it's very, I would think they're very tough waters to navigate. Mm-hmm. And I mean, is it even a common, I don't even know anymore. My kids are 21 and 23. So I don't even know if it's even a commonplace anymore in schools to teach sex education. It is a little bit. It is a, it's a part of the curriculum that's required mm-hmm. like, like other things. And yet it's one of the things that sort of a lot of times gets sort of swept under you know, like it's minimized. Yeah, a curriculum that's supposed <laughs> to go throughout the whole year. And as I mentioned, this teacher says, yeah, we have two hours blocked away yeah. for next week. <laughs> but I'm curious what they teach the kids, like, you know, what the curriculum is like. I'm very curious about that. Because mm-hmm. I know I remember a while back, I think it was a few years ago now, there was a lot of hype and talk about teaching sex to the kids in schools and mm-hmm. parents were up in arms about how it was being done and all of these things as usual. I mean, I remember when I was in school, grade five or six, I think we learned about sex education. And that was mostly about the anatomy that we learned, Mm -hmm. like health class. It was part of the health. So phys ed, and then you'd have your health classes as well tied in. And then sex education was kind of balled up in that as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'm curious that, to know how it's shifted, how it's changed. Mm-hmm. There is more of a focus on there's the anatomy is there. Some places will will talk about you know safer sex, and some it's you know abstinence is the is the focus. So there's <laughs> and then there is the sexual like you know yeah sexual health. What is sexual health and what does that mean? And how yeah. safer sex if you're going to do it? So those things. They are there, but and you're right. It's uh, some parents don't want it, and you're not going to get some sex education that's going to be, you know, agreed by everyone. It's just kind of okay. So let's just go ahead and, you know, that's where I guess each school board or whatever has to make theirs and based on what their collective decides and go from there. So, but well, we we could do a whole episode <laughs> on the school system and the education yeah. system and how yeah. broken it is. So. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll stay away from that one for yeah. the most part because yeah. <laughs> that could be a complete episode. So mm-hmm. I want to talk a little bit about your story on Weaver title. Mm-hmm. I love that title. Can you explain and share what that term means? Like what is a story on Weaver and how do you classify yourself as a story on Weaver? What do you do as a story on Weaver? You know, it's interesting. I was, um, as a child, I was an avid reader. And um, read, 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 as um, and you know, being a poet. So as a kid, you know, just writing poems, and so I've always had that part. And poems are really shortened stories, condensed stories. And then when I went on to be a teacher, I was a language arts major and spent writing stories, like story writing, and helping that part of the, the curriculum was one of my specialties. As I went through my own sexual journey and my spiritual journey, different mentors and teachers along the way, it was amazing how the whole theme of story started to just show up. And even now in in the business world, you know, we're talking about your story sells, you know, tell your story, you know, that's going to sell. And then, so looking at that thread, that theme that's been going on, and then this recognition that we are the story, (laughs) you know? This whole idea. If, so if you look at books and movies, how a story is developed, 
you know, you create the, I remember as a teacher, right? Okay. Yeah. Your character, get your mm-hmm. setting. Yeah. Are the other characters. Okay. What's the problem, right? What's the challenge to be done? And, and in fairy tales, there's often, you know, as, as a template, often there's three challenges or three something. There's three challenges, three tests, three siblings, you know, three magic wands or something like that so three is always a key so if you look at how a story is constructed and how this person they're going along their life and then they all of a sudden here's the problem here's this dilemma here's the situation and then how is that reinforced how is that continued to to show up and to be activated by different characters that show up in different situations all the way along the line and as we're watching and reading and listening we're trying to figure out how it's going to happen how's it going to work out and you know here's okay it's building it's building on crash and okay it's going again and and looking at that until we get to this place of ah the problem solved and whether it's you know a totally different way or that was anticipated like a surprise wow, hadn't expected that. Or it's the, you know, the character has this big aha and they come through, you know, the heroine's journey, the hero's journey and until it comes to resolution and it closes. So if we look at our own life story and Brad, you and I exchanged this in an email the other day and a message that everything always shows up in a story exactly perfectly in time. So there's no extra in a movie. There's no extra walking along the sidewalk that has not been intentionally put there, you know? And so to be able to look at our lives as we come through to the place where we're at and we're in this process of change is we can look at the people in the situations as, you know, detrimental and they've been harmful and I've been hurt. And, you know, there can be that victim mode that comes through. There can be this, I'm going to rise above it. And looking at situations that to recognize and to appreciate that everything has played a role in its perfect time and place for that. You know, something, I remember even a biblical thing, I remember some preacher talking about something from the Bible of, you know, something that had happened, it ended up, it was a curse, but it became a blessing. And I thought, what if we could look at things as a blessing all the way along, even in the midst of it, to know that, and it comes back to this thing of, the universe or life is for us. Everything yes. that's happening is for us. And yeah. so as a story unweaver, what I like to do, instead of necessarily looking at weave the story here, because, you know, there's a lot of people that's let's rewrite your story. And maybe that's a different way of saying, I unweave it. Let's look, go back and look at how it was woven together. What pieces need to be brought in together? So it's sort of going back and let's unweave it to come into this place of really appreciating the role and understanding how each thing, that's what came. That's why that showed up. Or there was a little bit of foreshadowing there. And I think in some ways by doing so, it brings us into this place of realizing that where we are, who we are right now has been intricately and immaculately designed for our life spirit purpose absolutely i think that also speaks to your mindset work too because that's a big piece of it is shifting the mindset to first of all see that life is happening for you and not Mm -hmm. to you that is a huge mindset shift to be able to do that and i think also 
tied in with that is being able to take a step back, look at the situation, look at what's happening or what has happened, analyze it and find the silver lining within it. Because I don't care what anyone says somewhere buried, maybe buried incredibly deep, or it may be close to the surface. Mm -hmm. There is a silver lining in every situation that occurs for us. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where it's what's, what I love is actually this thing about I see the patriarchy as a gift because it has helped us to what's it like when when the feminine, when that power, when that sexuality, when that leadership is, you know, shame, don't access it. We know what it's like. Yeah. There's the masculine energy that runs amok. Right. And so yeah. to be able to bring this feminine energy, this, you know, the feminine, divine feminine energy back into the forefront, all of a sudden now it, uh, and this is where for me in my, as a pro-dom, when I was a pro-dom, as a bondage practitioner, trainer, is to be able to recognize that the masculine is there to yeah. serve and to support. And yeah. if you don't have that direction, then it's energy that just goes amok. And we, yeah. we know what the patriarchy looks like. There's energy right. that has not been channeled. And so it's not about condemning it. It's, it's about recognizing the, the role that it has played, the gift that it is, and having us see what it's like when things are out of balance and not in harmony. And so as the feminine comes into this place of leadership, mm -hmm. that the masculine, over and over in my, my practice, people, men come say, I want to be able to be there for my woman. So what does the woman need? She gets to say that to him. And there's where the relation sort of bring that together and how that also plays into it is because that's how I see that spirit is. And we all have all of it within us. Yeah, we all have both masculine yeah, and feminine. So, so the spirit being like the feminine, the form being like the masculine, that's what allows us to have this human experience. So. It's funny that we're talking about this because I was speaking about this with another guest. Her episode is going to be coming out on this Friday, actually. Mm -hmm. We're talking about the rise of the divine feminine mm -hmm. and how it is on the rise. And I said, you know, I said, it's great. I've seen the shifts and mm -hmm. I'm seeing the shifts happening and it's, it's, it is moving towards what needs to happen. Mm -hmm. And I said to her, but it's not happening quick, happening quick enough. And she said, hold on a second. Let's, let's look at that. Let's think about that. She was talking about how she had a conversation with someone and they said to her, it is happening in the perfect timing that it's meant to happen because maybe if we rushed it, mm -hmm. it wouldn't unfold the way it needs to. Or if we rush things, things don't tend to work out the way mm -hmm. they should if they're rushed or just basically trying to say, we can't rush this. This is going yeah. to unfold the way it's meant to unfold and the way yeah. it needs to unfold. We don't need to rush it. Mm -hmm. Yes, we'd like to see change happen quicker and but no it, it's not meant to this is how it's going to unfold and this is how it's meant to happen mm -hmm. and we need to embrace that mm -hmm. it'll happen in divine timing mm -hmm. it's just wild but yeah again this could be a whole other episode <laughs> so many things i think i think we could do about six or seven episodes out yeah. of this conversation already yeah for sure love it now, you are also the founder and creatrix and mistress of Crimson Queen Consciousness Academy. Can you share with us what the Academy is all about? What inspired its creation? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For me, it, it comes, and, and right now, it's um, the foundations are being laid, and you know, its fruition is yet to come into a whole thing. So it's, it's where it came from, is I think what ties into this whole aspect. So the crimson, taking it down, is queen aspect being that 
divine feminine representation. Crimson came from one time when I was doing, I was coaching uh, one of my female clients in her erotic practice. She was, you know, on the mattress here beside, and I was, you know, describing the wisdom that, that came from her as she was connecting to her energy. What came to me was red is the color of woman. And mm. when I look about that, it's, you know, we think about the lifeblood and that whole, you know, menstrual blood and blood that goes through our veins even is this again it speaks to that aspect of divinity in human form or through this human vessel and so that's where instead of red it was crimson it just seemed like a the depth of a crimson so crimson queen so just really connecting to the woman leadership divine feminine as the consciousness and connecting into the supporting the masculine and feminine in harmony and oneness and for me, I see it as a, my vision. If I look at a, an internal, I feel into it, it's that of peace and harmony. When I look to the outside, what it looks like for me is this, even a, a retreat, I call it a, a retreat and training center where people are there. They're coming for their spiritual healing. They're coming for physical, emotional, sexual wholeness and healing sessions. There's, you know, trainings that are going on. There's body work that's happening. A place where some people come, you know, for a a weekend or a session for a retreat. Some people come and live there for a month. Some people come and live there for a year. That's their home. And so it becomes this community where sexuality, spirituality is seen as natural and whole and a place where people can come in and reconnect to that wholeness, to their wholeness on both sexual and uh, spiritual levels. It sounds incredibly beautiful and powerful. Lorna, you say that your mission is to help people see through their stories into the lens and portal of divine feminine power, sexuality, and leadership moving beyond shame, sin, and guilt, trauma, disconnection, and disassociation so they can experience embodied sexual and spiritual wholeness, live their truth erotically, alive and free, and in doing so, change their world. Why have you decided to make this your personal mission? I think I would say in some ways that it's chosen me (laughs) to live that mission. It's um, sometimes it's kind of like, who am I to be? It's kind of, who are you not to be? And it's been a a mission that has evolved even as I, you know, laid there, you know, in my chemo time of the gift. I I see the cancer and my chemo was such a gift to be able to be there and just because all I could do was just feel and be feeling what the body was feeling and the emotions. And in that time, I remember feeling a real relaxation and kind of like, oh, that would be how easy it would be to let go of this earthly experience. And I'm here because I have this mission. Ah, that's what I'm here for. And so it was just, it's continued. I, I see, I hesitate to even call something being sickness or illness. I see it all as for me. And the, this cauldron of clarity, because even in this last couple of months, I was sick for five weeks. And in that time of just continuing this mission, continuing to be refined and getting clear and my own inner work happening in preparation for and clarity and continuing to live and bring this forward. That is incredible. Again, this, this talks to mindset because there are so many people that would just see the, the bad in what you were going through and dwell on that. Whereas you see it as a positive, as a gift. Incredible. Lorna, what aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? My gentleness. What's the best compliment you've ever gotten? I pause. I don't know. It's In some ways, it's kind of, I think it was 
when people would say different people say i want to be a mom like you i want to be the kind That's of a mother big one. That you, i want to be kind of the kind of mother that you are and even as i say that now it's kind of like interesting because in my work right now it feels like i'm stepping in even more into this role of the mother as a trainer i'm being this mother matriarch yeah what does the word empowerment mean to you that I will be a mirror for you so you can know your wholeness within, your power within. I love that. That's a beautiful definition. Thank you. What does the best version of you look like when you close your eyes and imagine it? Living from the truth within. There's no apology. There's no fear. There's no holding back. Just living the truth of what is flowing from me. Okay, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions just be two, three, four word answer type okay. thing. Okay. Okay. What never fails to make you laugh? Children. Who would you like to be stranded on a desert island with? Me. <laughs> My mom. What is your favorite self-care practice? Listening in and feeling and honoring the sensations and emotions that are arising and just feeling into them. What is your biggest pet peeve? When people say, just ignore it. Or when I say that. <laughs> <laughs> if you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Mm, live true and enjoy the ride. If you came with a warning label, what would yours say? Be prepared for different perspectives and to have your world rocked. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. What's something surprising that you've learned about yourself in the past year? How deeply the character of Lorna has had the whole thing of that I am responsible for somebody else's reactions, emotions, choices, feelings, all of that, how deeply that has been woven so reinforced within my character and my view of myself and my role, my relationship self with other people. So that's a story to unweave mm -hmm. Yeah, because and I, we aren't and we yeah. can't be responsible. No, exactly. And, and even in the summertime, there was some stuff that was coming up and I, yeah, I was taken into a, a practice arose just out of natural thing of, of to do that and just to sit in when something, well, if you do that, it's kind of, it's okay. Just come back in and just to feel into that center core. What is the worst piece of advice you've ever gotten? I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't know. Worst piece of advice. Save yourself for marriage. Maybe that's it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there you go. That's it. <laughs> what makes you happy or brings you the most joy? Interestingly, what it feels like is, and I don't know if you've, I think probably you have, and how many of our listeners have been on a merry-go-round. Mm -hmm. And I remember as a child loving, you know, trying to get on. We'd make it go so, 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 so fast and try to get on and yeah. try to jump off. And, you know, we'd hit the bar and we'd go flying or whatever. Yeah. And other times I would sit on the hub in the center and just sort of enjoy watching, you know, people, oh, is he going to get on this time? Is he going to do that? <laughs> um, or, wow, this is so fast. And look how many people are going on and how many people can jump on. And I remember that feeling of sitting in the center and it was just peaceful and it was just calm. Oh. It was just pure joy because I could look and I could look out and see what was happening and feel the joy of what was happening around. And I realized now that that experience was put into place for me was experienced so that I could come back into realizing that one of the things that gives me the greatest joy in life is just coming back into the center place and seeing and experience life from there, whether it's the laughter of the children and the time with my family, my husband, or it's, you know, seeing the tragedy and 
the death and illness and the accidents and stuff like that, that I'm observing that, but it's always coming from this place of presence and just somehow a sheer joy of being able to see the extreme and the variety of experiences are happening around. That's something that we all can learn to do, and that is slow down mm -hmm. and take everything in and live presently, live in the moment, because yeah. we so often, we're either living in the past or mm -hmm. we're thinking about what we need to do, thinking about the future, yeah. and we need to be more in the present moment and live in the present. That's where life happens. Yes, yes, Brad. <laughs> what is one lesson your career has taught you that you think everyone should learn at some point in their lives? Mm can't get it wrong. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one-hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? It would be my mom. I'd love to know, and I think partly because, you know, I mean, I come from her, and I want to hear of her experiences, because I think as, as a mom, you never get a chance necessarily to really hear about her thing. I want to know who she is. I come from her. And I want to just know her, what I saw from the outside, and I want to know her even more from her heart. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Don't do it if it doesn't feel good. If it doesn't feel last... good, if it doesn't feel aligned. <laughs> yeah. Lastly, Lorna, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your people, your tribe, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Sex is a gift. You are whole. There's so much to explore. Trust your feelings. Don't believe everything you think. And have fun. Enjoy the ride. <laughs> a very important lesson for all of us. We could all take a page from that book. <laughs> Lorna, thank you so much for being here with me today and sharing all the things, Lorna, your, your journey, your story. It has been incredibly educational. <laughs> <laughs> incredibly inspirational just mm -hmm. it's been an all-around amazing conversation we could have gone off in so many different directions like i said yeah. we could have birthed seven or eight episodes just from this one conversation so yeah. thank you for keeping this conversation so incredibly interesting for me and educational and inspirational you are a beautiful human i love what you're doing i love the way you approach things your mindset and just you're all around being. You're a beautiful soul, woman, and human being. And I'm grateful to be connected with you, to be able to call you a friend, and to have you as a member of the Empower Empowerography community. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Thank you, Brad. It's been a, a joy to be here with you. And I am just so grateful to you for creating this space and the way that you are being that mirror for women that ripples out um, in helping them to know and us to know our power and to share and to uplift one another and to share our messages for the sheer joy and pleasure of sharing our messages and for the the way that it impacts and supports other people in this incredible journey we're in together. Thank you. Thank you very much. I receive that and appreciate those very kind words. Mm -hmm. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Lorna Gale. She is a sexuality and spirituality guide and mentor a bondage trainer and practitioner, and a story unweaver. Thank you so much, Lorna. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. Wonderful. Thank you, Brad.
Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.